0: We're going to continue our, our mini-series we're doing here in a, in a time of transition. We had a wonderful time this last couple of years of studying and preaching through the Gospel of John. And um, we are preparing for our next big book of the Bible that we're going to be preaching through. And so I, I just love this chapter in Isaiah, chapter 55. Uh, the fruit uh, of this chapter is so rich, so good. And we're calling this little series, five-week series, Feast and uh, looking at just the wonder of what it is to be satisfied in God, the way that God works. Today we're going to focus on just two verses, verses 10 and 11, and uh, excited for what God has before us. Look with me at Isaiah 55, 10 and 11. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Just the two verses before that we concluded last week's sermon with is verse 8 and 9. I want, I want to reference them quickly as we dig into verse 10 and 11 today. Verse 8 and 9, in this most famous Uh, A few verses here of the Holy Scriptures, God declares, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Last week we got to really focus on the set-apartness of God, that God is and majestic, and holy, and worthy, and almighty, and righteous in every way, and we are not, of how set apart he is. And, and he is worthy of all of our lives, all that we are, all that we have, of our devotion, of our obedience, all of our worship, and of our service. Now in the wake of this great truth, in verse 8 and 9, of the set-apartness of God, of what He's due, how majestic He is, and if you want to dig into that further, you can jump on our podcast and grab last week's sermon. In the wake of that truth, we're given here in verse 10 and 11 a visual picture of the rain and, and snow falling from the heavens and, and it doing the work God intended it to do. And before we get to that, I want us just to consider that term, come from the heavens, the heavens. As people typically think of heaven in one of two ways. I Many people get caught up in a very generic view of heaven, kind of in the sky, uh, and, and it's just a place up above. And, and that whole idea of heaven being above is really grounded in whether you whether you give it this or not, it's grounded in the set-apartness of God, in, in His holiness, His, who He is. And, and what we have to understand is that heaven is far less about a place than it is about God. It's less about the feast, and it's more about the, the one the feast banquet celebrates. The set-apartness of God being high and above is, again, that concept we see laid out in verse 8 and 9, a very big place in the Holy Scriptures that's proclaimed. And yet our culture and people quickly turn heaven into something not at all about God. And and its set-apartness and what it's intended to do to our hearts to cause us to to really see and savor God as holy and worthy, we completely make about something other than God. Again, for many, heaven is just simply a place of kind of tranquility or good and this soft place in the sky. People's idea of heaven has become so skewed that many people who have have no real true devotion to God or respect for God, or fear of God, don't even think of God when they consider heaven. For many people, heaven has just become a place of good things. Friends, family, fun, no more pain. Things that have little to nothing to do with God. So there's this cherish for heaven and the things of heaven, but really no cherish for God. And those things I just listed are good things. They're good things of God. But to make heaven and the heavenly courts and the palace of God and the place of God's holiness not about God is blasphemy at its worst. It's a blatant miss in what makes heaven so great. Those who think that they can believe in God in order to get heaven, to get saved, to get right, so they can have heaven, won't like heaven because heaven's all about God. <laughs> Those who, who think that somehow there's a prize greater than him are grossly mistaken. An article I read this week, consider these many phrases throughout the New Testament. Jesus promised his disciples in John fourteen three, I will come back and take you to be with me. That's the prize, that you may be where I am. For Christians to die, 2 Corinthians 5.8, it says, is to be present with the Lord. The Apostle Paul says, I desire to depart, to be with Christ, which is better by far. That's Philippians 1.23. He could have said, I desire to depart and be in heaven, but he didn't. Why? Because his mind was set. On being with Jesus, the prize is God. To make the things of God more important than God is the essence of idolatry. It's to raise up something made as ultimate for our affections and our, and our desires. It, it is our sin to cherish it more than its creator, God. Heaven without God is like a honeymoon without your spouse. It's like a palace without a king. The joy of heaven won't be streets of gold, your favorite pet, and being reunited with, with him or her, or chocolate wonderfalls, or whatever else we want to kind of make heaven to be it will be joy in the uninhibited presence and glory of the Almighty God. Amen? I I pray we see that. I I pray our, our, our thinking begins to shift to understand. When we think of the rains and the snow coming from heaven and blessing the earth, to think of that action devoid of God is to miss the point. And so... One way to think of heaven is about all this stuff and space and attitude devoid of God, which is to miss the point. But the other way to think of heaven is is rightly that we there is where God's redeemed will enjoy and worship him forever. Our word of truth catechism is a a tool we created to partner with our parents and raising our children in the truths of God and it turned into so much more. We actually ended up publishing it, we taught our whole church, and it ended up being a great journey. We're actually going to begin going through it again this September to just lay healthy and whole foundations of biblical understanding of just the different truths of God. And, and it's, what's exciting is those who have gone through it over two years are excited to start again. So if you didn't get to go through that with us, you're in for a real treat. The simple premise of a catechism is a simple answer and then a simple question to help us rightly understand the truths of God. So, question 122 in the Word of Truth Catechism is What will eternal life be like in the new heaven and the new earth for God's elect? And the answer is Eternal life will be a more intimate communion with God, and we will be free from sin, evil, sickness, suffering, and death. We will be in the Lord's presence and glorifying him for all eternity. It is better than we can even imagine. What the Holy Scriptures tell us. One of the neat glimpses we get into the new heavens and the new earth, life for God's people with him, those who would trust their lives in Christ, there's this picture, this vision of of. This space and who, what God is doing in this time in Revelation 21, 1 through 6. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, I make all things new. And he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. That last verse rang a bell at all? If you've been with us in our series, the opening verses of Isaiah 55. Look there with me in your text. Verse 1, written 700 years before Christ would come, pointing to this eternal feast that God's people will enjoy with him, and then spoken of in this detail in Revelation 21 later. Isaiah 55, 1, Come, everyone who thirst, Come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk, without money, and without price. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. In there lies the beauty of the gospel and the satisfaction we have in Christ alone. Again, if you missed the first sermon in our series that fleshes that first verse out, I encourage you to jump on our podcast on our website and give it a listen from home, and I I know you'll be blessed. Isaiah 55, verse 10 says... For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there. This is a way for us to consider the source of all things. It's showing the provisions of the earth, and the source is of God. The source of life. The good things of life. He's the source of the things we love in this world. Not so that we can worship or over-cling to them, These things that are good gifts of God, but so that we can, in enjoying them, ultimately acknowledge worship and cling to God. Honor him for all that he is due as the source of these things. All throughout God's written word, we are reoriented to this glorious truth. And and I just want to give you a couple places. I'm actually going to spit out a number of verses this morning. Uh, You can... um, I'm thankful for our editors and the people who put together our slides. And all, there's a lot of moving parts to today's sermon. There's a lot of scriptures. I don't expect you to keep up with me this morning by flipping to these verses. You, you won't be able to do it. Make note of the references. Maybe just let these scriptures wash over you. Hear the unity of these words all throughout the text. Lift up these truths about who God is. In Psalm 148.8, we read that fire and hail, snow and frost, stormy wind... But they fulfill his command. They fulfill his command. Psalm 135, verse 6, Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the deeps. Think, think of the mystery of the deeps. And yet God sovereignly rules over it all. He it is who makes the clouds rise at the end of the earth, who makes lightnings for the rain and bring forth wind from his storehouses. Psalm 135, verse 7. God makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Time and time again, we are shown in scripture how god is the source of creation not just its beginning but its continuing it's working not just for christians but for all mankind do you acknowledge god as the source of all that we are and have to enjoy and and there's there's a way that i think we can do that in in general or we'd say, Yeah, I, I give God that credit. But, but I, I, I want to press in and say, Beyond just that general answer, how do you respond to just the details and the workings of daily life? Do you see Him as the author of these things? And does it cause you to well up with praise? little things and how you see your kids interact or or, or or, watch people do what they do or the way that God's creation works and ebbs and flows, the things that happen. You praise him for all the little things. You see him as the source worthy of our praise. The second part of verse 10 expands on the way that God providentially works in creation, watering the earth, making it bring forth sprout. So he, the rules that he set for creation, he causes them to work. He waters the earth, and it does what he intends it to do. Giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. The, the very act of God to create the universe... This world, consider its colors, its form, its sounds and shapes, its inhabitants and its rules, its rules, the way it works. God created it all. But but for what? And And we're guilty of this because we can read verse 10, he waters the earth, he brings forth sprout, giving seed to the sower and and bread for the eater, and we can really quickly make that about us. And to some degree it is. It's a great gift of God. It's it's his work in creation for us. And we need to enjoy these things. And the call on Adam and Eve in creation was to fill the earth and subdue it. And so we should. We should enjoy these things that He's given. But they're not ultimately for us. If we keep them only for us and let them terminate on us, we we miss the opportunity of really what they're intended to do, which is to well up and cause us to well up and give him praise and glorify his name. And and we see this laid out even in just how the creation plays. In each of the creation days, they lead up to the seventh day which is unique in the fact that god when he's finished with creation commands mankind to take a day off they haven't even worked yet but we're going to rest so that as we view all that he's done we would well up with worship and glorify his name a priority for rest and sabbath rest that our generation and culture is largely missed. We just continue to go and produce, and, and we, we miss the beauty and the joy that it is to slow down and rest and grow in the Lord and worship the Lord. And I praise God that you're here on a Sunday. And I know there's a reality of, of life and happenings and um, things constantly calling for our commitments and our enjoyment, but I love the commitment to make time, to prioritize time, to let our souls rest from the doing and the producing and the cleaning and the and the making more money and the going and the vacation, just so we could really say, Thank you, Lord, for all that you are and all that you're doing and all that you have done. I want to give glory and praise where it's due. Um and there's little ways we can adjust this thinking. You know, often you might, you might have the habit of praying before a meal. I've encouraged our church for a lot of years now to reorient the way you think about praying for the meal. Some people think like, "Hey, we need to bless the meal." Like somehow our words to God brings like this incantation over the meal and that the meal's not going to nourish us unless we do that. No, we need to bless them. No, No, no. Your prayer at the meal is mostly so that you can say thank you to the source. It's to say, God, we're, we're about to enjoy these flavors and this abundance you've given. Or maybe there's no abundance. Maybe you're starving and you get half of a cracker and, and, and there's an opportunity to say, God, thank you for this provision. I see you as the source. I see you as worthy of our praise, even as we enjoy the flavors. Even, if I, even as, as I send word back to the chef of how amazing the meal was, that ultimately the author of the flavors, the source God is the one who's due our praise. We reorient our hearts often in these things and our children and those around us to these realities. Isaiah 43, just chapters earlier than our Isaiah 55 that we're in, speaks of those God formed mankind and being formed for his glory Isaiah 55.10 points us to the wonderful reality that God's creation works. It does what he intends it to do. He waters and it brings forth life, giving the sower its seed and the eater its food. Everything comes from the Lord and he is worthy of our praise. Church, I want you to be confident that God will work in all of his creation exactly how he wants to, and that he will not be subverted or um, shocked or, or, or derailed. He's over it all. We have the right view of who God is, that he's not upset or, or like has to come up with plan B because of our mismanagement of it, He's not surprised by tectonic shifts. He is in charge of all of this, ruling over it all. He's sovereign over it all. His power, his authority is over it all. That's what sovereignty means. We should not worry for a moment that somehow he's lost his grip of it. Or think in pride and ego that somehow I've got a better idea of how this should go than he does. The arrogance that's in that, the sin that's in that. Instead, we should walk by faith, trusting him, knowing he's at work in all these things with great anticipation for the eternal feast that he's promised for those who come to trust their lives to Jesus alone for salvation, serve Him as Lord and Savior. The problem is, though, that we lose sight of these glorious truths. We get caught up in the moment and we begin to lose faith of who's over it all. And so Jesus blesses us with His Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6 with this clarity in verse 26 through 33. And I pray you get what he's getting after here this morning and it's a blessing to you. Jesus said, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you that even Solomon, one of the richest kings who have, was stupid rich, like Scrooge McDuck rich, and, and had everything a man could have dreamed of in, in, in fame, in money, in, in power, in, in satisfaction— So so Jesus is using this very global example. Even Solomon, in all of his glory, was not arrayed like one of these, comparing him to a lily. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Jesus does so much here, and I need to move through this somewhat quickly to keep going through our passage, but I want us not to miss the beauty of what this is for us. Jesus says, consider the birds. God's in charge of them. God gives them what they need. And he says, understand, you don't even have the power to add one hour, one minute to your life by worrying about anything. He's saying, God has the power, God is in charge, God is sovereign, God is a God of providence, authority. And so I just ask you this morning: like, do you know that in the deepest places of your heart? Do you trust that God is never busy or distracted or forgotten you? He's at work in all these things. The fact that your mind even works in the moment to even consider with such sinful disdain and question who God is, and think somehow that you've got a better idea of how something should work. The fact that you even are continuing to process that is the hand of God upon your life to continue you. I'll give you a couple of scriptures to endorse that in just a moment. Do you believe that God is over it all and trust God even when you face great loss or fear? Abraham surely didn't want to Take Isaac up the mountain to do what God commanded him to, his cherished son. Moses did not want to go be God's representative before Pharaoh. And yet, God, in his perfect wisdom and right and righteousness, willed these things to be. And people who submit to his plan you need to understand that as, as much as you don't get what these things might be doing or how they add up, you will worship him for eternity for his perfect work in all these things. When we do not trust God to mold the clay of his creation the way he perfectly wills it, we will become full of fear and worry, and will look to grab control of situations ourselves. And Jesus highlights this. He says, "Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of your life?" I, we need to embrace His authority, His providential rule as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We. In all of my study and growth and maturity as a shepherd of the flock, I I get this and yet I'm still challenged to fight my flesh, to live it out in my own life. I shared with you the good news last week. If you don't know, my wife and I do foster care. In addition to our own three, we have taken on this journey of loving kids in our community who have been removed from mom and dad, not because of their mistakes, but because of mom and dad's mistakes and are in a season where they need love and care. And There's one little girl that we fall in love with. We got her when she's two and a half months and for Years now, we've been fighting to adopt her. Her Parents don't want her, and we love her. Our family loves her. And we got word on June 8th, we're finally going to get to adopt her. And so if you haven't heard that, it's good news. We're praising God for that. Thank you for your prayers and your encouragement. And I have had many moments in this process where I've had to be reoriented to these truths I'm speaking of today because there's so much about the system that is so broken, and the timing. The parents don't want this little girl. We do, and we're here, and yet we take years—not not not weeks or months, but years—to have delays and and work and government dollars at work in ways that are just insane. Like, makes no sense, and we're just wasting time. And and, the, and there's definitely been fleshly moments. Where I'm like, this why? Why is this going this way? Let's just get this done. And then yet I've had these great moments of just realizing, by the grace of God, like, she's been in our care the whole time. <laughs> what a blessing. And, and, and to see how he's worked in and through the situation and the drama and the time of it for us to be reoriented to these truths and proclaim them and, and to live them out with you to correct you when you say, oh, you should definitely get her. Like, surely that's God's plan, right? That's the right thing. And for us to reorient our thing and we go, well, maybe it's not. Let's ask God for that and let's trust him with his plan. And I would ask, actually ask you to continue to do that with me because six week, within the next six weeks, something could change. She could be taken from us. We could have a whole different reality. I had this very, very sobering moment where I have had this misguided thought that, the, the, that night of June 8th, when she's adopted and legally mine, it's all good. And then I realized my daughter Natalie, who's ours by birth, could not live through that day and not be ours the next morning. Like, Who am I to say, like, I've got it all now. I, I've, it's all in my grip. It, it's, it's now mine. When it's not. That we remain in faith. We constantly look to steward the things that God's entrusted to us and love them well, but we've got to keep giving it back to him. We've got to keep saying, Lord, these things belong to you. These people, these cherished ones are yours that you've entrusted to us to care for and to love and to shape, but it's never mine. It's for you. It's for your glory. It's for your purposes that we would do this and never hold you in contempt because it doesn't go our way. That my sweet mom of faith who got Alzheimer's at the age of 52 and died at the young age of 60, like, there's no part of that journey for Matt that, that made any sense. It just didn't add up. And yet we've seen God at work in, it in ways we never could have understood, and we've seen how He uses the frailty of our lives in these moments in ebb and flow for his eternal purposes. And I just come back to you, you trust him. He's on the throne, and he's working perfectly all these things for his glory and for our good. Jesus is speaking of God's sovereign rule extending to the seemingly insignificant color of the lily or the white puffball of the clover patch. And, and, And that these are not mere natural laws that God put in motion and then took his hands off of them hoping that they would turn out No, no, they are under his constant rule and providence. He is purposeful in all these things. And so the point is, if God is so intimately and lavishly involved with the grass and the flower, which are here today and gone tomorrow, is his point, how much more will he care for his children who are eternally his, who he bought with the blood of his son? And so we must trust him. Not be full of anxiety and fear, but trust him. It says, Oh, you of little faith. You gotta see this morning, it is a trust issue. If you are a warrior, you must see today that it is a trust issue. It is a faith issue. And let me also say this: it doesn't mean you'll never have moments of being afraid. The question is, what do you do when those moments come? Because Psalm fifty-six, three says, When I am afraid, I will trust in thee. Notice it doesn't say, I will never struggle with fear. Do you see that? What it means is when fear strikes, the battle begins. Instead of me trying to, to figure it out and wield it on my own outside of faith and trust in God, I take it to God. You realize that's essentially what prayer is. Prayer is not getting God to do what you want. It's about you... Bringing that situation to God and remembering that He's God, and trusting it to Him and saying, "God, Your plan's better than mine. I, I would be a fool to say I have this like plan. I want this thing to work out this way, but You have such a better view of the whole thing. But I don't really want Your trajectory over it. I want mine. <laughs> oh, no, so Lord, here's my honest, heartfelt thoughts and desires, but I want to yield them to You. I want." To know your plan, I want to be involved in your plan. The Bible does not assume that true believers have no moments where anxiety hits. Instead, the Bible tells us how to fight that anxiety with faith as it strikes, how to put them away and walk by faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall I eat? What shall I drink? What shall we wear? Jesus says, for the Gentiles seek after these things because they have no relationship with God to trust him. They're, they're outside. That's what that's getting after. But your heavenly father knows that you need them all and your father knows what you need. So, so he knows what you need and he knows who you are. And so when anxiety wants to knock on the door, church, you, you, got, you got to correct your heart and your mind. You, you got to Remind yourself of the truth. God loves you. God bought you with a high price. He he knows all the hairs in your head. He knows every tear, the number of every tear that's fallen down your cheek in a lifetime. And you know that he didn't spare his only son to purchase you with his son's blood. I mean, so how is he going to fail to give you anything that you need, anything that is needed for his plan to be carried out? You're his what we get so lopsided father you created and managed all things you you sent your only son voluntarily to die for me but i'm not sure you know how to arrange this week that i'm in it's getting pretty crazy right and i'm starting to get really worked up in this current trouble that i'm in how god how is this going to work out for my good how is this good I remind your heart, he's your heavenly father. He knows what you need. He loves you. He's, he's at work. And I just pray we have a much better view of the source of God as the source of these things, that he's over it and he has it in his grip. He's not undone and neither should we be. Amen? I, so all of this we get from verse 10. Now look with me at verse 11. You see the purpose of God in all that he does and ordains to happen. He says so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. <laughs> I love this verse. Will you, will you just speak this verse, print out this verse, stick it to your dashboard. I mean, just meditate over this verse all week. In other words, what God speaks will happen what God wants to happen will happen. His plans are fulfilled. His purposes are met 100% of completion. God's will will be done. I renamed it today's sermon about 18 times. That was one of my genius names. God's will will be done. I'm trying to think how people are going to read that. yet. Yeah. But you get my point. You get my point. God's will will be done. Ephesians 1.11, Paul said that God accomplishes all things according to the counsel of his will. Accomplishes there in the Greek is really the word brings about. He he works it. All things according to his will. So no event falls outside of his providence. We see this all throughout scripture. Modern day Christianity, much religious people who conjure up ideas of how they think God works outside of his word have really boxed him in and really made him quite impotent to think that he kind of has turned it all loose and and there's no way that he can be connected, all, all this stuff, and, and so we just kind of like relegated him to the corner and he's really hoping that we would choose him and, and hoping that all these things would work out and it's just making God so impotent. And it's making us big and him small and it's just not biblical and I just, I just want to wash over you just a number of texts. I had to keep trimming text so we wouldn't be here until four o'clock um, and so I just want to give you a, a quick blitz of just the reality of this L- look with me Hebrews 1 3 Christ upholds the universe by the word of his power it's upheld it continues Colossians 1:17 Paul says of Christ in him in Christ all things hold together Acts 17, 28, in him we live and move and have our being. Ezra says in Nehemiah 9, 6, you are the Lord, you alone, you have made heaven and the heaven of heavens with all their host and the earth and all that is in it and the seas and all that is in them and you preserve all of them, the host of heaven worships you. Elu who says of God in Job 34, if he should take back his spirit to himself and gather to himself his breath, all flesh would perish together and man would return to dust. And so I've used many of these scriptures over the years to to highlight the fact that we need to be way more grateful to God than we are. And we're guilty of saying, God, where are you? And why isn't these things working? And are you even listening to me? And what we don't realize is the atoms in your chair, the molecules that are holding you up right now, is working because he wills it, according to Scripture. Your body, your mind, your your jaw stays in its correct place in your face because he wills it. Because he's, he's in and over and working in all of these things, his creation. Scripture affirms that God feeds the wild animals of the field, Says that even if one, that not one sparrow falls to the ground without the Father's will. Matthew 10, 29, he's over every little detail. Uh, The the modern, the, the man made idea of Lady Luck, that lady doesn't exist. Luck does not exist. The scriptures say the law is cast into the lap, but the decision is holy from the Lord. Every roll of the dice, God sovereignly rules over it all. Affairs of nations, God makes nations great. He destroys them. He enlarges nations. He leads them away, Job 12, 23. Dominion belongs to the Lord. He rules over the nations, Psalm 22, 28. He removes kings and he sets up kings. And so, yeah, there's a lot of wickedness in the earth and there's a lot of, of wicked rule in the earth, but the reality is God is at work in a greater way over all these things in ways we can't even comprehend or know. Every aspect of our lives, the scriptures say, in your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. Psalm one hundred thirty nine sixteen. Before there was any days in my life, every one of them was formed for me is what that scripture says. Job fourteen five, Job says that man's days are, are determined, the number of his months is with you, and you have appointed his bounds that he cannot pass. So I just ask you, these truths about the sovereignty of God, do you believe them? Do you live in them? So uh, I, I'm a member of an of a international motorcycle club to take the gospel to the uh, the Outlawed Motorcycle Club community. It's a very unique ministry that I'm in, and one of my roles in that ministry is as nas- one of the, na- the chaplains, national chaplains, is to field the international prayer requests that come through. So from people, men and women all over the world, comes through my email, and then I filter it out to uh, all of our leaders to then be delegated to all of their chapter members. So one of the things that's unique to me in that is my scope of, of the happenings of the world are widened every day. And so even with our church family being a couple hundred people, it's, I'm getting almost regularly, I'm interacting with people who are losing a spouse or fighting for the life of a child or facing some kind of great injustice. And and in the wake of people dying, one of the things I love to remind and trying to reorient, because a lot of times people will send me like a prayer request in a panic. we got to pray for this so we can subvert it. And while we need to pray for healing and wellness and and, and recovery, and those are good prayers to be made, we also need to remember God has numbered that person's days already. So he's not like, God's not freaking out, like sending out the, to, to, to like fix, no, no, no. He's at work. He's got a plan. And in his perfect will, maybe that person's life was never intended to be longer than three days or 14 years or 86 years. And so we just, we got to wrap all that up in remembering who God is and how he works. Even when we don't necessarily fully understand it, we believe in who he is according to his word. Without this, we set this down, then, then we're deciding to come up with how we think God works. And the heart's desperately wicked. We're going to really mess that up in global ways. And and we have. In him we live and move. Acts 17, 28. A man's steps are ordered by the Lord. God's providence is in all these things. I mean, again and again. A king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it whatever way he wills. Even the workings of, of, of a king's rule... So when Isaiah 55, 11 says, so shall my word be that goes out of my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing from which I sent it. He's just saying what I command or will to be done will be done. Do you see so clearly today that God is not passive? He's not curled up in the corner, hoping that we would do what he's, what he's wanting us to do. He creates, he speaks his word, and it comes to pass. And, and so what you're probably wrestling with, then is how does that jive with, with all the nonsense and all of the evil and all the things that are so gross about the world and creation and sin? And what we have to understand rightly, according to Scripture, is God's providential control... In his unseen, behind the scenes way is the primary cause. And yet, that should not lead us to deny man's responsibility um, in our choices and our actions. The scriptures are clear that mankind is responsible for our choices and actions. We do have choices, and they're real choices, and they have real consequences. So, how does that mesh with God's sovereign rule over all things? The Bible tells us that God is providentially over all things, but he does this in such a way that he upholds our ability to make willing and responsible choices that have real results, by which we'll be held accountable. The theologian Wayne Grudem spoke of it clearly this week. He says, exactly how God combines his providential control with our willing and significant choices, Scripture does not exactly explain to us. But rather than deny one aspect as false or the other, because we simply cannot figure out how they, how they blend, simply because we cannot explain how both can be true, he says, we should accept both in order to be faithful to the teaching of all of scripture. We must uphold two critical pillars. God is sovereign and man is responsible for our choices. Man's responsibility is seen throughout scripture and God holds man accountable. The blame for evil is always on the responsible creature, whether man or demon, who is worthy of God's punishment. Now the scriptures tell us that God uses all things, including evil, for his holy purposes. Although God ordains in his sovereign will evil events to come about and evil to be done, it is very clear in scripture, now don't miss this today, nowhere does the scripture show God directly doing evil, but rather bringing about evil deeds through the willing actions of moral creatures. Scripture never blames God for evil and neither should we. So when a newborn dies or planes fly into the World Trade Center or ISIS beheads Christians or cancer overcomes your loved one, we don't look to God and say, God, you did this. This is your fault. You don't blame God for evil. He's not guilty of any sin. These things are the results of sin, a man's selfish heart, the curse of mankind. But what you can say and should say is that God is at work in all these things. Even in those horrific things I just mentioned. And so I just got to stop and ask, do you believe that? Do you believe that God is sovereignly over it all? Because to not believe that is to say that somehow it's outside of God or that he's in contention with it, like like he's not sovereign. When something takes longer than you think it should, or when it doesn't go the way you think it should, or when you face great loss or injustice, does your soul believe God is at work in all things? Is there faith to trust in God that he's over it all And I would even go so far to say, does your face proclaim that truth? Does your words, your testimony proclaim that truth? The word of God shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which he purposes it for and shall succeed in the thing for that which he sent it. So when life gets upside down, when your loved one is kidnapped, when you are falsely imprisoned, your heart of faith and trust in God and His providence over all things says God is on the throne and not thwarted or surprised. God has us in His grip. He seems, so why? Why do we say those things? Because they're true. And, and so that you're not undone outside of faith thinking that somehow God's undone or knocked off his stoop and you're just lost. You, your faith causes you to see God as who he is over all of creation at work despite what you and I in our finite fleshly view can figure out or understand. We say these things because they're beautiful and they're needed reminders Even when great evil is at work, when death is at work, when injustice is at work, God is at work in a greater way. Amen? You've got to see that today. I want us to get this, not just because it's Sunday and you're at church, but really get it in your soul, get it in your head, believe it with your whole heart. Because if you don't, you will curse God. You will see God as the means to another end instead of rightly seen as all for him, to be stewarded perfectly by him. The most offensive evil to ever occur in mankind's history is the slaughter of the only innocent person to ever walk the face of the earth, Jesus. Jesus. There is no greater injustice to ever occur. No baby born, no beautiful daughter or son or father killed, raped, brutalized. There is no greater gap of injustice than the perfection of Christ slaughtered at the hands of men. And God's word clearly dictates that it is done by the will of God. Why? so that we, an undeserving people, can be bought with his precious blood and won to his eternal kingdom without which we have no hope of salvation. His holy plan from the beginning of time, Ephesians 1, speaks clearly. Do we fully get it? No. Do we trust God as God, as worthy to be praised, as at work in all these things? Absolutely. Absolutely. And without this understanding, when life gets turned upside down, you will be undone. But with it, you can stand in faith. Even in the song we sang earlier, the waters are rising. Let my feet carry me to a place that I've never even dreamed I would go to make much of your name, despite whatever I face. No matter what we might face in this life, you can have from the doctrine of God's providential rule that he will do and accomplish all that he wills, Deep assurance to know that for those who love God, all things work together for good to those who are called according to His purpose. And man, don't let prosperity gospel preachers and and modern-day claimed Christianity that has completely misinterpreted these things say that that good is a new Ferrari or a better body or all these other promised things that are just horizontal. The good is often things we can never even fathom. And often the purpose that he's called us to is some of the very suffering that we're going through, which is momentary, the scriptures say, in light of his eternal glory. So often are the ways and work of God beyond us and what we can't comprehend and see coming and this word today, I just pray, is not one that you just hear and move on, but it, it kind of boggles with you and, you, and you're hungry for more, to lay a right foundation, according to God's word, is our effort here to build on. It is so essential that you have the truth of God's sovereignty and his sovereign rule under your feet and your family and your life so that no matter what's happening, you will hear this trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. You would not be wise in your own eyes but fear the Lord and turn away from evil. That's Proverbs 3, 5-7. through 7. So I want us to see the sovereignty of God over all things today. See his providence in and over creation that his word and will will be done. See him as the one due praise and honor. See his word and his will going forth and never returning void. Oh, I, I hate how people have skewed that verse. <laughs> there's, there's, there's a lot of parts of what people claim as Christian faith who, who, who say that verse means this. Because we're going to say something here over the room, it will happen. Like it's like this incantation, like this like magic spell we cast over the room and then, and then it will be. That's what people have turned that verse into meaning, that it can't return void. No, what it means is whatever God's will and word is declared will perfectly do what he intends it to do. Let us not be guilty of turning that into some kind of like wand that we will to do what we want it to do, right? He is at work. He is at work in these things. I pray we see these truths, and today they're like a rock under your feet as you pursue this week, a rock under the feet of your family as you, as you look to seek Christ in all things and honor him as the one worthy of our lives. May we be a people who walk in these truths, who navigate great hardship in these truths, preserve and persevere in these truths, never see anything outside of his reign and his power, that God is God and worthy. And as Romans 11.36 says, that from him and through him and to him are all things, to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time today to to worship, to to, to study, to, to gather and know each other better, and the holy truths of your word, Lord God, that have undergirded the faith of your people for generations, Lord, we're, we're privileged to get to be part of it, to, to get to be um, invited in, to, to hear. And I just pray for individuals in the room today, Lord, that if we're guilty of kind of wielding our own authority over the things that happen in life and declaring to you how things should be or should happen. I just pray that we, we'd see the sin in that. We, we would confess that as sin. We would, we'd repent of it by, by turning from those practices and by finding a new practice of, of being genuine with you in our request, but ultimately yielding to you, practicing God, saying, I want your will to be done. I want to join you in what you're going to do. I want to trust you no matter what I understand or see that my faith would not just be for a moment or a time or a place or for a single purpose, but my faith would be all of my life. I would walk and talk and proclaim the name of Jesus in all that I do. And So as we prepare to sing this final song, Father, I just want to read Psalm 115. Psalmist says, Not to us, Yahweh, God, not to us, but to your name, your glory. Because of your faithful love, because of your truth. Why should the nation say, where is God? Our God is in heaven where, and does whatever he pleases. Israel, trusting the Lord, he is their help and shield. House of Aaron, trust in the Lord, he is their help and shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord, he is their help and shield. The Lord remembers us and will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel, bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, small and great alike. May the Lord add to to your number, both yours and your children's. May the Lord, may you be blessed by the Lord and the maker of heaven and earth. The heavens are the Lord's, but the earth is given to the human race. It is not the dead who praise the Lord, nor any of those descending to the silence of death. But we will praise the Lord, both now and forever. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Not to us, Yahweh, not to us, but to your name give glory. And so we acknowledge the things you've done in the gospel to set us free, things we did not earn the beauty of the gospel, the gift of the gospel that sets us free, that allows us to know you and walk with you and grow in these truths, Lord. That our, our lives and our families and, our, and our, our, our daily doing would have eternal purposes and not just momentary fleeting experiences. That We sing Gloria, glory to God alone. Glory to God in the highest. And so we, your people, gather in this place to to celebrate you, the living God, to acknowledge your rule over all these things, and to say you are to be worshipped and praised. In Jesus' name we pray.